Friday show is brought to you by Corks, Cajun Fried, Fish, and Shrimp. We're going to do a little two-step along the SEC West here over the next 30 minutes. We'll chat with Andrew Hutchinson from uh, Northwest Arkansas, covering the Arkansas Razorbacks, coming up in 15 minutes. Uh, we're going to talk a little Ole Miss football here in the first segment. Um, I have alluded to this, and we'll expound on more next week. I am a little bit down on Ole Miss over the last two weeks as I've kind of looked at the league, done a little more in-depth research than I was doing back in July with like media days. I'm just, was Jackson Dart great last year? Do I trust that the defense is going to be there? Or are they the team that it kind of fell apart when they started playing real football teams last year? I'm, I'm curious. I trust Lane Kiffin implicitly calling plays. I, I think he is brilliant in that respect, but He's been there for a couple of years, and it's not like they're you know, beating the doors down or anything. So let's talk some Ole Miss football with Michael Cash from the Northeast Mississippi Daily Journal there in Tupelo. Michael, thanks for your time. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing quite well. Um, I, I've kind of asked the same question to all of the guests I've had on from opposing SEC beats and kind of said, what's, what's, what are the vibes around the program as we enter? Most of the time, this time of year, things are very, very optimistic, but Give me just a general assessment of where things are uh, in Oxford now that Lane Kiffin to Auburn is dead, and it seems like he's kind of there to, to dig his heels in a little bit. I think that the, there's there's optimism and that this program is, is, a, is in a good place, especially compared to where it was uh, the couple years before uh, Lane got there. Uh, the recruiting is ticked up. They're, they're winning uh, those in-state battles of getting big recruits. They're, they're getting fours and five-star guys again. That's that's really big. Uh, I know the transfer portal has been something that, that uh, Lane has harped on, but I think he understands that uh, you know the best way to build a program is still through traditional recruiting, and you got to get, get the best players to do that. And so I think that they're, they're doing a good job of mixing that. But I also think that there's a, a realistic look at that this schedule this year is just absolutely brutal, um, that – uh, even if the team is improved, and I think it's going to be a lot better uh, than it was last year, that might not matter uh, because their schedule is just, I know it's pretty much by every metric, it's in the top five most difficult in college football this year. I mean, when your second game is Tulane, and it just gets kind of worse from there. Uh, I think that there's this is going to be a good team, but it's just, you know, it's the, the, the difference between a seven-win team and a nine-win or ten-win team, there's just not a lot of a, a margin for error with this team. But uh, I, I do think that there's people are really happy with where this program is, uh, that Lane is committed, and that they're putting in the resources with the Manning Center and uh, hiring P. Golding, which was not a, a cheap investment. Uh, their, man, their IL is, is, is ticking up and done a really nice job. Uh, there's optimism, but I think they understand this year is, is going to be really hard. Has there been uh, any earnest discussion, probably in spring or maybe early in fall camp, about why the bum fell out after a 7-0 start last year and what they need to do to address that? I think that 
Well, there were a couple. I think it was addressed when when they hired Pete Golding. Yeah. I think that was a, a big part of it. I think over the last seven games, it was, they gave up 35 per game. They were getting gashed in the running game. Uh, they ran that three-two-six, which sometimes is great. And when you play some teams that are physical, uh, you can't stop the bleeding, and that's what kind of happened to them down the stretch. Uh, you had borderline air raid teams that were able to run the ball really successfully on them. And so uh, getting Pete Golding, I, I know that Alabama fans have mixed opinions on him, but, you know, the track record is really good. And I think if nothing else, he brings in uh, stability and a confidence in that in that defensive room that they have a guy who knows what he's doing and has had success on the highest level. Uh, I do think, though, it would be foolish to not imagine that uh, the, the whispers that were happening towards the end of the year, I imagine probably did play a little bit of a part. Um, I remember it was that bowl week, and that's when things really kind of hit their uh, the highest point of, of the Auburn. And that's when it really uh, it kind of sounded like it might go down, and, and Lane told us that you know he had to call a team meeting and address it. And, uh, I, you know, these are 18- to 20-something-year-old kids. Uh, I think they're wondering what – on earth is happening too. And they're probably getting asked by their friends and family. What do you know? What's happening? What are you going to do if this happens? All these sorts of things. Um, I think it really, it started Arkansas week was really when I think the, the rumors really kind of started and don't get me wrong. They weren't playing great before that, but really those last, the Arkansas the state game. And, and of course the, the, the bowl game. Um, I mean, they just looked real flat and I have to imagine that, uh, those 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 rumors probably play a little bit of a part. Uh, in yeah, that with the fact the defense is struggling, it's kind of a perfect uh, perfect storm of bad things. Where's the strength of this defense now with uh, with Pete Golding calling the shots? Uh, I think that the the strength is probably the defensive line. They've got a lot of depth, um, and they've they've done that through the transfer portal for the most part. Uh, they've got experience. Uh, and, you know, Pete Golding is is going to run a, several different. Uh, you know, sort of sets and whatnot, but it, I don't think they're going to be generally a three-man line. It sounds like they're going to do, I know uh, some of the defensive ends I was talking to were talking about, you know, learning how to play, you know, a four-man front, which is different from what they've done the last couple of years, but they're really deep there. They've picked up some nice pass rushers. Uh, that, that I think, is going to be a strength in the secondary. I, I don't know if it's going to be a, a quote-unquote strength, but I do think they've got really good experience. The question is, uh, it's experience from a lot of other places. How quickly does that all meld together? At least with the defensive line, you've got a lot of guys who were here last year. That's they know what they're doing. The, the secondary, there's there's a lot of new faces and, and new pieces from uh, all sorts of different you know levels of competition and, and conferences. It's going to be interesting to see how how that goes. Well, flip to offense. What do you know about quarterback? We know there uh, there's a transfer in, there's a returning starter, and then there's a guy from from LSU. Yeah, we uh, and it was really funny. A couple of days ago, we started seeing, uh, you know, the, the teams start tweeting out their, uh, you know, QB one six, and uh, Illinois tweeted theirs with Luke Altmeyer, and of course, Luke Altmeyer was here last year. He battled Jackson Dart for the starting job, uh, and then I remember that uh, we're never going to see a QB one uh, graphic <laughs> because that's just not how things tend to go here. Uh, but you know, it's it's Jackson took his lumps last year. There's no question. Uh, he. He was young. He was an air raid at USD. Uh, he kind of there was a lot being thrown his way early. Uh, he has looked fantastic since the spring. He's just looked more comfortable, more confident. 
uh, really limiting the turnovers, which is where, you know, as you know, against LSU, uh, that's when things really started to break down. Uh, and Ole Miss had that lead, and then LSU took it, and Ole Miss was about to retake it, and he threw that pick in the end zone. And after that, that was that was pretty much it. They almost had no uh, had no chance of that. They were so deflated. And so he's done a really nice job of, of limiting the mistakes. He looks in charge of the offense. Now, of course, when you bring in Spencer Sanders, the guy who started, I think it's 41 games at Oklahoma State, was a first-team All-Big 12 guy, uh, you can imagine that he comes to a place for his last year to be a backup. So, uh, you know, it's it's been a battle. He was a little bit banged up during the spring. He's healthy now, but uh, you know, I think the plan, and of course, it, it's hard to ever get inside a coach's head, but you know, you want to push Jackson, and if Jackson doesn't take well to it, you've got a guy who you feel really good about. But in a perfect world, Jackson, he did what he needed to do. He, he took the challenge, and he's he's gotten a lot better. So, I've long been on the the the, the side that it's it's going to end up being Jackson Dart, just because he's I think he's done everything that they could have asked. And of course, Walker Howard, and you mentioned. Uh, an LSU transfer, an LSU legacy. Uh, you know, I, I, I think he was kind of in the race for a bit, but it, it's become pretty clear that uh, he's he's not in the the top two running. But I think they feel really good about him going forward because, you know, Dart's eligible for the draft this year. Spencer Sanders will be gone. Uh, there's there's going to be an opening there for somebody. So I, I think they feel really good uh, about that room in general. Mercer's a glorified scrimmage in week one next Saturday, and then you're at Tulane. In all due respect to Tulane, I, I don't think they're going to beat Ole Miss in that game either. Then you've got Georgia Tech, who I think stinks. So you got three games there. Two of them look decent on paper, but I think Ole Miss handles business. Is it fair to say they just need to know who their quarterback is by the Alabama game, September 23rd, and then they've got LSU coming to town a week later? Is that fair to say? There's there's a part of me that, that thinks that that could be the case. There's also a part of me, um, full disclosure, I'm a USC grad, and so I've seen Tulane do things uh, <laughs> to teams that uh, I still lose sleep over. Um, so, you know, Tulane's good. I understand that, you know, their top running back is gone, but they still got a quarterback. They're well coached. It's going to be there. You know, it's early in the season. Weird things can happen. Uh, I think if, if there's question at, at quarterback in that game, I don't know if that's going to go the way that they need it to, um, because I think Tulane is, is 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 good enough that they can they can win that game if if, if things don't go well for Ole Miss. Um, you know, Lane hasn't loved switching guys in and out of games. Uh, you know, he doesn't do the old Spurrier series, the series play to play kind of thing. Uh, when when he has a guy for a game, he usually rolls with it until uh, you know a, a half or, or whatever it is. Um, and, you know, that was kind of the case last. Jackson started the first game. Luke Altmeyer started the second game, uh, played the first half, I think it was, against Central Arkansas, and it was pretty much Jackson after that. So uh, he, he, he doesn't he, – he, he, I think he, he wants to give whoever it is the confidence that they're not going to be on a short leash uh, because I think that's the worst. I think he understands better than anybody that's the worst thing you can do for a quarterback is, is have him looking over their shoulder. Ugh, what if I make this – what if I make a bad play? What if I make a bad throw? What if I turn the ball over here? Um, so I, I think that the, the, they, they would, they probably need to kind of figure it out, um, by Tulane. I, I, I do think they will. Um, I, I'm again, I don't, I'm not sure what the plan is, but I feel like by now they probably do know what the plan is, even if they haven't talked about it, uh, openly with us. Uh, you mentioned Georgia tech. I don't think that's going to be, you know, I, I think they're, they're going to be better, but I don't think that's going to be much of a game, but, uh, you know, the first and the third game, those are, you know, like you said, glorified scrimmages. Uh, you know, it, it's not going to take much for Ole Miss to win those games. But that Tulane game, I think if things aren't 
figured out, I, I think it could it, it could get interesting. But and, and of course, you better have figured out by Alabama because uh, going into Tuscaloosa did not go well for Ole last time. We appreciate the time, Michael. Enjoy the weekend. Uh, enjoy the football this fall. Absolutely appreciate you. He is Michael Katz, uh, Ole Miss writer up there in Northeast Mississippi at the Daily Journal in Tupelo. We'll take a time out when we come back. Talk some Arkansas football with Andrew Hutchison. That's next. Hunt Palmer on 104.5 ESPN Baton Rouge. Snap into action this NFL season with Fandle. It's America's number one sportsbook. Now new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. $200 in bonus bets win or lose. If you've been thinking about adding a Fandle, there's no better time than now to get in on the action. They have so easy. There's a wide range of betting options, point spreads, player props, over-unders, and a lot more. So visit FanDuel.com slash 104.5 ESPN and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Must be 21 and present in Louisiana. First online real money wage only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issues and knowledge all bonus method expires seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. If you're scamming problem, what's help? Call one 877 stop You're listening to Hunt Palmer on 104.5 ESPN Baton Rouge. Just talk to Ole Miss Rebels with Michael Katz. We're going to head back to the Gems Firearms Hotline now. This is what I got Andrew Hutchison, as we always do when we want to talk Arkansas Razorbacks. Andrew, how are you? I'm doing good. How about y'all? Doing quite well. We're one weekend away from really getting into the action. I've said this many times over the week, but... Vanderbilt in Hawaii is not gonna not gonna get me out of bed in the morning. I'm gonna go I'm gonna go play golf and enjoy enjoy the weekend. Are you gonna be locked into football this weekend? I'm going to do my best to watch some college football, but I have a three year old and one month old daughter, so oh. they're gonna also keep me preoccupied. Oh, that's a full time gig right there in itself. I just got the one and I'm pawning them off on my mom all weekend so I can go play golf. So that's that's how things are going around here. Um, I've, I've asked every beat writer I've had over the last week, kind of this at the top, like what are the what's the energy around the Arkansas football program as they head into another year with Sam Pittman at the helm? It's good. It's good. I mean, Sam Pittman. Uh, we talked to we talked to him yesterday, but the last time before that, uh, last Saturday after the second scrimmage of camp, uh, he came into the interview room and he was in a very uh, I'm trying to think of the right word chipper mood. I mean, just very. Uh, optimistic, you could tell he felt very confident about his team. He must have liked what he saw that day, and uh, I think he thinks they're going to be pretty good. Now, you can be pretty good in the SEC West and only go six and six, uh, as we know. It's a brutal division, uh, but I, I think he likes where they're at, and uh, the the vibes are good, and, and I think people are excited for for the season to get underway next week. I understand that you've got a, a coach on, that's that had a really good start to his campaign, and of course a really really good quarterback who we'll talk about here in a second. But what what was the reason outside of KJ Jefferson's injury that Arkansas did lose six games last year? Well, on top of KJ's injury, you also had a gajillion injuries in the secondary. I mean, yeah. at one point there were seven different defensive backs out with injuries at the same time. Uh, and that is why Arkansas ranked dead last in the FBS in passing defense. Um, I'm not going to sit here and tell you they would have been a good secondary if everybody had stayed healthy, but they definitely would have been much better. Um, they had guys in there playing that had no business playing SEC football, to be quite honest. Uh, and so I think that was a, a major factor as well. 
Uh, but also, I mean, you can't downplay KJ's injury. Yeah. He is so important to to this team. Uh, two of the games they lost, you can say if, if KJ Jefferson is healthy, they would have won. They would have beaten Liberty if he had played that game at 100% health. And if he had played against LSU, uh, they probably would have had a really good chance to win that game too. So, uh, and then who knows how the Mississippi State game that he missed would have played out if he had been in, you know, out there playing. So, uh, I, I really think that those really kind of had had a, a major factor in it because you look back, four of their six losses were by three or less points. I think they're by combined nine points or something like that. Uh, really close games that that were kind of the difference between being a yeah, average season and a, a great season. Yeah, two-point loss to Texas A&M, a, a two-point loss to Liberty, a three-point loss to LSU, and a two-point loss to Missouri to, to illustrate your, your point. I thought when Sam Pittman hired his coordinators and then after watching them for a couple of years, I said, man, that's, that's a really good set of coordinators that Arkansas has. We know that Kendall Bryles and Barry Odom have both moved on. What can you tell us about the new Hog offense? Well, as Dan Enos, it's a, it's a name Arkansas fans will remember from uh, him being here under Brett Bielema, uh, 2015 to 2017. Uh, that 2015 offense was a, a thing of beauty after some early struggles. Uh, by the end of the year, it was probably one of the better offenses in the country. Uh, they were they were humming uh, with Brandon Allen and, and Alice Collins and some guys like that, uh, Hunter Henry. Uh, so it, I think, you know, Knowing the kind of pieces they have on offense, you know, with KJ Jefferson, Rocket Sanders, um, they got a, a, they think they got a pretty good you know, group of, of tight ends and, and wide receivers. They're just kind of unproven, uh, either in college or at the SEC level. Um, so I think there's there's some optimism there. It's going to be different. It's not going to be the hurry up, no huddle that we saw with uh, Kendall Bryles. They're going to huddle some. Uh, KJ is going to go under center some. Uh, so it's going to look different. You're going to see some 12 personnel with two tight ends out there. Uh, so it's going to look different, but I think there's optimism with the, the pieces that they have. It's, it's kind of similar to when Dan Enos came in in 2015. You know, the offense wasn't great before he got here, um, and, but they had some really solid pieces, veteran pieces. It's a similar type setup with that uh, this year. So I think there's, there's reason to believe the offense should be good uh, this year. Look, when it's the fourth quarter in a close game in, in Tiger Stadium or in Arlington against A&M in September, you do what you have to do to win the game. But do you think right now, as we sit here in late August, that, that Danny knows and Sam Pittman would say, can we can we lessen KJ's running load if we possibly can? Because he's a big, strong dude, but you get the wrong pop on his shoulder and you could get a repeat of last year. I think it's still going to be part of the offense, but I think they're they're really preaching being smarter. Uh, we saw that a little bit in the bowl game, even with you know Kendall Bryles still here. Uh, there were times in the bowl game where KJ uh, was you know running down the sideline, and instead of lowering his shoulder and trying to truck a dude, he took it. You know, went out of bounds, try to avoid the hit. You know, very smart type of of, of running. I, I think we're going to see more of that this year. I think we're going to see some designed runs, but also you probably don't have to ask him to run as much because not only do you have Rocket, but you have. A.J. Green, Rashad DeBinion, Dominique Johnson is back healthy. You've got a really, really deep uh, group of, of running backs that should be able to, to handle a lot of that running load. Uh, so, yeah, I think they maybe try to reduce a little bit of the running, uh, but you can't take it completely out because that's also why you're, you're such a good offense is whenever you've got to factor in K.J. as a runner as well. No doubt, and they were a great offense a couple of years ago because Traylon Burks was so difficult on the outside. I don't know that they've 
kind of replaced him fully last year. It's very difficult to do. What about the pass catchers in this Arkansas offense? Who are the weapons? Well, you don't have a Traylon Burks like they had two years ago. And and last year it was kind of divided between pretty much basically two guys, Matt Landers and uh, Jaden Hazelwood, who were good college wide receivers. And I think you're in a similar situation this year. You've got a couple of guys that are, are transfers from lower levels, uh, a Division two transfer named uh, Isaac Tafla, uh and an FCS transfer named Andrew Armstrong. I think those guys are going to start. Not sure who the third starter is going to be. I think it's going to be Isaiah Satania, a redshirt freshman who was a four-star recruit, heralded recruit, a speedy guy, also runs track uh, in college. So uh, I think that's going to be kind of the, the starting group. Um, but I think that Andrew Armstrong and Isaac Tesla, as long as they can adjust to the SEC, which I, they seem to have done pretty well. They were here in the spring. That helps a lot. Uh, you saw some early struggles from them in the spring, but now that it's you know we're through fall camp and everything, they look they look like they could be KJ's go-to guys. They're very athletic. Uh, they I think Andrew Armstrong has been clocked at over 22 miles an hour, and uh, Isaac Tesla's just got some crazy athleticism. Uh, guys that really kind of were I'd say late bloomers, and that's why they ended up playing at, at smaller levels. Uh, so I think those are going to be the guys, and I think they're going to be good. I'm not going to say they're Traylon Burks or anything, but I think they could be very solid wide receivers uh, for Arkansas, and especially in this offense. You know, we saw in 2015. I keep bringing that up with Dan Eno. You know, they had guys like Drew Morgan and uh, uh, trying to think of some other guys. They had, they, they, but needless to say, the wide receivers on that team were not the NFL stars. They weren't the Hunter Henry at tight end or Alex Collins at running back or Brandon Allen at quarterback. They were just good college wide receivers, and that helped the offense. I think they've got a similar situation this year is very good college wide receivers. I just don't know if they're going to be, you know, you know, top five round, you know, NFL draft picks or anything. On the defensive side, Barry Odom, the coordinator moves on to a head coaching position. And Drew Sanders, who was so good for Arkansas last year, moves on as well. What can we expect uh, from the hog defense, both coordinator perspective and then in terms of the strengths of their defense? Travis Williams is the new defensive coordinator. He comes in from UCF. Uh, he's a much more aggressive uh, play caller than, say, Barry Odom. Barry Odom was, you know, three-man front, drop eight, you know, let the, you know, let the offense make mistakes. Uh, this is a more aggressive, we're going to go after the quarterback and try to make them make a mistake. Uh, they're going to be running a lot more four-man front. I think the defensive line is, it may be one of the strengths of the team, and I don't know the last time I've been able to say that, about an Arkansas football team. They've got a lot of depth, uh, legitimate depth. I mean, Landon Jackson transferred from LSU. He'll be in his second year. He's bulked up, looks the part. Uh, you know, another year removed from that ACL injury he suffered there while he was at LSU. Uh, you bring in um, some, uh, Trajan, uh, Trajan Jeffcoat from Missouri. He's a former All-SEC performer back in 2020. Hasn't played up to that standard the last couple of years, but I think he's kind of, uh, refound his groove here at Arkansas. He's another guy. Uh, they brought in some guys to beef up the interior. Uh, you've got a guy coming back named Torian Carter uh, at defensive tackle that uh, missed all of last year with a torn ACL. I thought he was on the verge of a breakout year. He had an incredible spring last year before getting hurt. Very unfortunate. He's back and healthy. So I mean, they've got guys. They they could legitimately rotate three, uh, you know, four man fronts at it. You know, uh, unit. I guess you could say. So I think the defensive line is going to be a string. Uh, I've still got some questions in the secondary. They've got good pieces. I don't know if the depth is quite there, if they have any kind of injuries like they, they had last year. 
uh, it might be an issue, but I, I think that it's, it's, the pieces are good. Uh, some of them, like, you know, Jaheim Singletary, a former five-star recruit, transferred in from Georgia. He just hasn't played a lot of college football yet. And and I want to see him in a game before I'm like, okay, that guy's good. Because we know what Dwight McLaughlin is, you know, preseason All-SEC. Can can he be that guy opposite of him at corner to, to shut down opposing receivers? That's kind of a, a question for me. Uh, but other than that, I mean, I, I think the defense is going to be better. But, again, it's kind of a low bar to, to have to clear because they kind of struggled last year. Injuries are part of that, but also I think the system uh, – you know, change is going to have a factor in that as well. He is Andrew Hutchison, managing editor, best of Arkansas sports. Andrew will catch up in a few weeks when the Hogs come to town. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. He is Andrew Hutchison. Appreciate his time here on this Friday. Going to be weird, quite frankly, I think for everyone involved, when LSU and Arkansas play and it's 95 degrees outside. Like, when I think LSU-Arkansas, I think, like, we got to have a pullover here. If you're in Arkansas, it might be in the 30s. Um, but LSU and Arkansas are going to play September the 23rd in Tiger Stadium, and it'll be probably 95 degrees when the hogs come to town. So it's a, it's a tough schedule for Arkansas as it always is. Uh, they got BYU out of the conference. They're at LSU. They're at Alabama. They're at Florida. And uh, they got some obviously tough home games um, with, uh, with Mississippi state and with Auburn and interesting game as always in Arlington with Texas A&M. That'll be the week after they come to Baton Rouge to play LSU. So uh, I love their quarterback. I think KJ Jefferson's great. I love rocket Sanders. I am skeptical of FCS transfers coming up and being your playmakers at wide receiver. And I'm skeptical of the defense because they were the worst pass defense in the country last year. And they've got to, got to find a way to figure that. But if you're a little more aggressive and you got a good defensive front and you try to do it by getting to the quarterback, maybe that's a better way to go about it than trying to, trying to cover. We'll see. But that's uh, that's our look at Arkansas. We appreciate Andrew for helping us out with that. All right, we'll take a timeout. We just got 30 minutes left on this Friday presented by courts on Palmer show. You're listening to hunt Palmer. This is Hunt Palmer on 104.5 ESPN Baton Rouge. All right. uh, The Athletic um, came out with a story. It was Chris Vanini and Bruce Feldman, college football coaching tiers. And there's nothing like earth shattering here that I'm going to go nuts on. But I I do have a couple of points of contention with them. Um, They got tier 1A as Nick Saban. And tier one B with Kirby Smart and Davos Sweeney, um, like I don't want to be a total prisoner of the moment. I don't. And this thing's fluid and doesn't really matter anyway. But like, I just if you give me the choice of Kirby Smart or Davos Sweeney to run my program, like I'm not gonna have a hard time with that. <laughs> like I'm, I'm really not. And Davo deserves credit. You win two national championships. Play for a couple more. Like, okay, that's really impressive. Like, that's deserves deserves to be up towards the top. But I'm going to take Kirby. And I'm a little worried about Dabo in the era of the transfer portal in NIL if he keeps, like, kind of talking bad about that. I just don't know if the players are going to respond. But I'm not going to go nuts on that. Then he's got Tier 2 behind Saban, then Kirby Dabo, and then Tier 2. Kind of a cop-out, by the way, 1 and 1A. One They're tiers. Just go to 2 and then go to 3. Um, but in tier two, after 1A and 1B, he's got Ryan Day at Ohio State. I don't have any problem with that. He's got Jimbo Fisher at A&M. Hold on. I don't know about that. Jim Harbaugh at Michigan. I, I'm right there with you. Brian Kelly at LSU. I think I'm right there with you. 
Lincoln Riley at USC, I'm right there with you. And Kyle Winningham at Utah, and I'm probably right there with you. And then he's got Luke Fickle at Wisconsin. I think Luke Fickle's a good coach. I think what he's done has been very impressive. But I'm just probably not going to lump guys in with national championship coaches and Heisman Trophy winner coaching coaches and Kyle Whittingham and Brian Kelly when you've done this against Central Florida Navy and East Carolina. Like, going to need to see a few more skins on the wall. Like, right? I think Wisconsin did a great thing in hiring Luke Fickle. And I think that's a program that does have a ceiling on it, but that can have a really, really strong program and has had a really, really strong program. And I'm not like trying to denigrate Luke Fickle from 2023 to 2030 over the next seven years. I'm just saying, if you're going to put him in this tier, you've you got to do better than beating South Florida and Tulsa. Like that's what he's been doing for seven years. And he's had his opportunities and they made the playoff and he's done some things that not a lot of folks have done at that level, but I'm not well ready to, to lump him into that, that level. Jimbo Fisher won a national championship. Ryan day is a perennial playoff coach. Lincoln Riley has coached three Heisman trophy winners and scores a bajillion points a game. Kyle Whittingham has built a, a power in the PAC 12 that consistently competes to win that conference. I'm just not going to lump Luke Fickle into that group. And I'll be honest, like, it's tough for me to squeeze Jimbo Fisher in there right now based on what we just saw. He had a better than average year one at AM. And then in year three, they they had a really good year in the COVID year. But outside of that, it's been real mediocre to a disaster last year. So I think I'd probably be fine like bumping him down to to tier three at this point. And that's got guys, I mean, Mac Brown's in tier three. Mario Cristobal, Josh Heupel, Chip Kelly. Like I'm like Lance Leopold at Kansas is in year, is in three. Mark Rule at Nebraska is in tier three. What separates Luke Fickle from from Matt Rule? I say Mark Rule. Matt Rule. Like Matt Rule went to some places where it was really hard to win and won. That's what Luke Fickle did. I think that's a little ambitious for there. When you look at guys that have an opportunity to move here, like I think Josh Heupel's got upward mobility. This is a big year for Josh Heupel at Tennessee because after six games, we'll have a really good handle on how much of that was Hennon Hooker and Jalen Hyatt and how much of that was Josh Heupel. Now, they all had to come together to create that great offense. I'm not suggesting it was singularly one guy's fault or one guy's doing. It's Heupel creating the scheme and, and installing the program, and it's the players going to execute it. But Jalen Hyatt's having an incredible camp in year one in the NFL. I thought Hannon Hooker should have probably won the Heisman Trophy last year. Like, that was incredible. And if Joe Milton comes out guns blazing and they're dropping 50 on everybody through six or seven games, I'll go, oh, they really got something in Heupel. They got a five-star freshman quarterback who should be able to Continue this for the next couple of years. Like, okay, I'm I'm buying that. If Milton struggles and they're not great on defense, and then all of a sudden I might have to look up and go, oh, 
maybe they got a once in a 15 year quarterback there. I mean, I think Hendon Hooker could be that. I don't know that I sit here today adamantly on one side of the fence of like Heupel's going to be a star and oh, that was just Hooker. Like I'm kind of straddling it and leaning towards Heupel's probably pretty good because he scored points everywhere he's been. But again, this goes back to the fickle point of like, I'm not going to give you all the credit in the world for what you did when you were at Central Florida. Because when you're beating Tulsa and South Florida and you're hammering Navy and Temple and Tulane, I'm not going to give that as much credence as I would if you score 50 on Bama like they did last year. So that's a guy with, with significant upward mobility. I think Sonny Dykes has upward mobility on this list out of Tier 3 because of what they did last year. Can you prove that wasn't lightning in a bottle? I would lean heavy no on that. That's one I don't have to be on the fence. I don't think TCU will be great this year. I think they'll be average. They're in a mediocre league, and they'll probably win some games, but I would bet they'd win 8 before I bet they win 11. Matt Campbell's always on these lists. He's in Tier 3. What do they win? Nothing? I realize Ames, Iowa's not exactly paradise, and that's not the greatest place to recruit to in the world. But, like, he always pops up. Big 10 job comes up. Matt Campbell, SEC job pops up. What about Matt Campbell? Well, no one hires Matt Campbell. And Matt Campbell's still in Ames, Iowa, and they still don't win very many games. That, you know, whatever. And then Mark Stoops is in that category. And I believe, and I've said this a few times now, that Mark Stoops missed his opportunity to jump. And Hester will fight me on it, and he's been more right than wrong the last few years on him. But I'm still not going to buy Kentucky. Now they get, they continue to catch a break here in that Florida's down. Because if Tennessee and Georgia and Florida ever got their skis on the ground, they'd flatten Kentucky. Kentucky feasted on... Tennessee can't get out of its own way for 15 years. Florida's kind of up and down. And they're not, you know, they're not competing with Georgia. But when you get the East in a bit of a lull and you can beat up on Tennessee and you can beat Florida now and when you know you're going to beat Vanderbilt and you don't have to worry about Missouri and South Carolina's going through a coaching change, all of a sudden it's a little easier to win nine games at Kentucky. Mississippi State's your crossover. And nobody suggested Kentucky was some powerhouse, but they had reached a level where you could say that maybe Mark Stoops could get another job, and he was mentioned for this job. I have no idea whether or not a phone call was ever placed in either direction about this job in Baton Rouge, but I think they got to the highest point they could get, bumped their head on the ceiling, and I think they're ticking back down, which is what they did last year with no offensive line, and I think this year they'll be fine, but they're not going to be very good. And I think Mark Stoops now is cemented in in Lexington, which – He's probably fine with. But I think that he's he does not have mobile ability on this board. I think he's got some backpedaling he may do. I think Kentucky's heading the wrong direction. Just my thoughts on it. I'll get give you my thoughts on all the SEC teams next week as we get into uh into game week. Very much looking forward to that. But we've got one more segment to go, so let's knock that out and get on to the weekend. It's the Hunt Palmer show. Hunt Palmer on 1045 ESPN Baton Rouge. Ochsner Health and MD Anderson Cancer Center have partnered to create Ochsner MD Anderson Cancer Center in southeastern Louisiana. This collaboration is, is so awesome for our state. It's going to provide patients in the state with access to cancer treatments that are among the most advanced in the nation. Ochsner is the first and only provider in Louisiana. It's got a fully integrated cancer program based on MD Anderson's practice standards 
and treatment plans. They have access to MD Anderson's protocols and practice standards. They've got direct access to their specialists and researchers. And they're going to offer access to select clinical trials available to eligible patients in our region, which is fantastic because we know that cancer affects all of our lives in one way or another. That expert care is going to be offered in seven locations across New Orleans, St. Tammany Parish, and Baton Rouge. And the best news is they're going to work together, Auctioner and MD Anderson, to certify additional sites in the future. If you'd like to learn more about Auctioner MD Anderson Cancer Center, I invite you to head over to auctioner.org. That is auctioner.org. You're listening to Hunt Palmer on 104.5 ESPN Baton Rouge. All right, a little housekeeping here before we leave for the weekend and I get on I-49 with a 19-month-old. Uh, please send uh, thoughts and prayers if you would. Um, tomorrow, uh, Monday, not tomorrow, Monday, the first Brian Kelly press luncheon of the season will begin. So our broadcasting and programming changes a little bit for Mondays in football season. Uh, OTB, same deal, 7 to 10. But when they're done at 10, uh, Jimmy and Charlie will come on live at lunch at 10 o'clock. They will lead into the Brian Kelly press conference. Uh, We'll carry that live on our airwaves. Uh, And when that's done, they will come back on, react to it briefly, and then they'll hand the baton to me in my normal slot of 1 to 3. So OTB, Hunt Palmer Show, and AFR are all going to be as planned. Live at lunch moves up an hour, and they'll go right into the Brian Kelly press luncheon. So be ready for that on Monday as we have finally made it to game week. Jacob Beck, take it or leave it. All right, first one here. Australian Curtis Luck misread his tea time Thursday <laughs> at the Corn Ferry Tour event in Columbus. He was 10 minutes late and got DQ'd. <laughs> That's the caddy's fault. Take it or leave it. Uh, I might take it. Like... I'll take it. The player needs to know. Yes. The player usually knows. But if I'm the caddy, like, I'm going to know what the tee time is, and I'm going to make it happen. It turns out, allegedly, and I don't know if allegedly is the right word, but apparently uh, he had a reserve caddy that week. It was just there to, like, carry the bag, and he just misread the tee time, and he was on the range and ready to roll, and he started walking over, and he was 10 minutes late, and he is uh, he's DQ'd. That's golf for you. You don't get to don't get to make it happen. Remember Rory for, like, a Ryder Cup or something was, like, late and didn't even get to warm up or something. Um, but you gotta you gotta know when you're teeing off. It could time zones can get you whatever. You gotta be there. And Curtis Luck was not there. So on to the next uh, Corn Ferry event for for the Aussie as he was. Didn't, you gotta get to your tee time. I mean, man. if you don't have a regular caddy, how can I? I wouldn't be relying on a guy that I don't even know. Right. No, I'm not saying it's a hundred percent. Right. But right. like the caddy is supposed to be in charge. Here. Yeah. The other guy's thinking about some things. He's warming up. He's getting loose. He's hitting balls. What are you? And you're cleaning clubs. Check the tee yeah. time and make sure we get there on time. Yeah. Big Ten is in talks of moving its conference championship to Las Vegas. Take it or leave it. I'll take it. I mean, obviously, you've brought L.A. into the mix. That's a drivable distance for them. Indianapolis has had it forever. Um, I'm a proponent of moving the SEC championship game around. Um, I know that Indianapolis is really close to a lot of teams, and I don't think Purdue gets a very decided advantage uh, in that game, uh, being that it's in Indianapolis. I guess they did make it a couple of years ago. but um, Or was that last year they went? They went last year before was, LSU yeah. played them. Wow, yep. good grief. <sighs> um, yeah, I, I think it's just fine. I think moving it around is good. It's going to be on TV. People want to go to Vegas. It's not like you're trying to move it to, you know, 
somewhere that stinks or is freezing cold, Vegas would be a good one. So I'm for that. I'll take it. Jaden Daniels has the second lowest or highest odds, whichever you look at it, to win the Heisman at 10 to 1 behind favorite Caleb Williams at 15 to 4. Putting some cash on Daniels to win. Take it or leave it. 10 to 1, uh, I'd probably leave it. I mean, you're putting yeah. 20 bucks down to win to win 200. I mean, I'm like, I just need 200 bucks, but unless you're trying to really throw some cash down, uh, you're not going to get a great return on that. So um, I would say. Probably not, even though I think there's a, a chance of it. Um, we'll have a pretty good idea of that after uh, next Sunday. Yeah. Because he really needs to play well in that game. And we'll talk about that game to, uh, next week, obviously. But my contention is that LSU is going to have to score some points in that game. So uh, we'll see. But uh, that's not those, – those returns aren't great. Some folks some folks cashed on Burrow preseason. Yeah, um, great odds. You're, you're not going to get as good a number on Jaden Daniels at this point. All right, Shohei Otani will reportedly continue to hit NDH for the Angels despite tearing his UCL earlier this week. This is a good idea. Take it or leave it. I'll take it because I'll take it. Um, he is healthy enough to do it, and he's now going into his free agent season as a hitter. Like, he's not a pitcher. So go hit 50 homers. Like, make them pay you to be the 50 homer guy. Because as we talked about yesterday, like, it's going to be the most expensive injury in the history of sports. You're now a hitter for a year and a half, so go be as good a hitter as you can be and bring that to the uh, to the arbitra- to the uh, to the negotiating table. So I think it is a good deal. I mean, if it was you know something he could he could seriously injure worse, I would say no. But the thing's torn. Like go hit. All right, last one here. Michigan will use four different assistant coaches for <laughs> game day head coaching duties in each of the three games that Jim Harbaugh suspended. This proves what a joke this suspension is. Take it or leave it. I mean, I'll take it. it is what I'll we, take we went through the, the games he's missing. None of them have a pulse. Michigan will win them all by 30. I, I do like Michigan this year. I, I know uh, they've gotten gotten beaten in the playoffs. They got embarrassed by Georgia, and they got beat by a pretty mediocre TCU team last year. But I think they're good, and uh, I'll, I'll be buying them, even though he's not going to coach the first three games. I think they've got a good quarterback. They've got a physical group up front on both sides of the ball, and they, they've, they've recruited well. I don't. I wouldn't want to hang out with Jim Harbaugh, but he can coach a football team, and they're going to be pretty, pretty salty. So I'll take that. That is take it or leave it here on this Friday. Friday show is brought to you by Corks Cajun Fried Fish and Shrimp. Get on by Corks for dinner tonight. Get the big haul for the family. Under fifty bucks feeds four, five, six people. Get on by Corks. It is in Government Jefferson and Foster. All right, that's it for us. Appreciate Preston Guy from Tiger Bay. Thanks to Michael Katz and Andrew Hutchison, who jumped aboard to talk Ole Miss and Arkansas, respectively. I'm out of here, headed to Shreveport to go play some golf. Matt's about to drive you home on after further review. See you Monday. It's game week.